Hey, good evening and welcome to another week here of Bible Study Fellowship. It is the month of January and we are going to be looking at John chapter 12. Great to have you here. Let me open us in prayer and we'll get started. Lord, we do praise you uh, as the one who endured uh, such ridicule and burden uh, on behalf of your people. Lord, you knew that we were an unbelieving, stiff-necked people, uh, and yet you were willing to come and die a death on a cross so that we could be forgiven and restored to you. pray all this in your name, and I pray that you would open our ears to hear from you and your word tonight. Amen. I think uh, one of the things that has been happening uh, lately, maybe for a while, is that everybody wants to know our opinion. If you go to a grocery store, they want you to fill out a survey. If you go to a restaurant, they want to know how the service was, how the food was, and fill out a survey. Um, Companies will uh, begin to cater and change the way that they deliver services or goods or menu items to customers based upon our feedback. Uh, People might decide to stop selling one thing and start selling something else or change a logo or change prices. Car manufacturers might change the placement of buttons or other controls inside of their vehicles, all based upon the feedback that customers, people like you and me, provide. And so we live in this customer-centric society where we've developed a, a belief, you know, rightly based upon the way that our society works, that our opinion matters, uh, our perspective, our ideas, the things that we bring to the the company matter, and as customers, we can begin to drive change of the companies that we frequent or the products that we buy through boycotts or peer reviews or likes, if that's even still a thing anymore. And uh, I think that this is not something that's unique to us in our own day and age. Uh, I think that this idea of catering to the crowd has been a part of human history uh, for years. And even in Jesus's day, it seems like at some level, the people that he was interacting with were expecting that his ministry the message that he taught, the things that he said, the things that were important to him would change as he received feedback, as the Pharisees provided their perspective or as the common people provided their perspective. They had some sense of anticipation that if you want to have a successful public ministry, you need to kind of do things that the public likes. And so they thought that their feedback and their criticism and their comments would result in changes as they pondered, even in our lesson tonight, who is the Son of Man? How can he die? Uh, The Messiah is supposed to be with us forever. The Messiah is supposed to appear suddenly in the temple. The Messiah is not supposed to be from Galilee. Uh, They had questions and problems and issues that they wanted Jesus to address, and Jesus never did. Jesus never changed his message. He never changed the works that he was doing. He never adjusted what day of the week he was going to perform his works. And I think the the reality as we look at uh, Jesus and as we look at John chapter 12, I think one of the things that we can learn is that Jesus is going to speak the words and perform the works 
that his Father has given him. Uh, Jesus will not change the works or the words that he's been given to make it more palatable to the people because Jesus is focused on pleasing God and not pleasing men. And that's true for us. That's what God asks us to do as people who are believers, people who are acting out uh, our belief as we follow him. And so let's take a look at some of the different ways that people are acting out their belief in John chapter 12. Uh, grab your Bibles, open them up, turn them on. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11, the, the, the dinner celebration at the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And then we're going to sort of look through the triumphal entry and the events surrounding that as a separate division. So that's the plan for tonight, but we'll go ahead and we're going to be in John uh, 12, 1 through 11 to begin with. And so this context of this meal that Jesus is at, it's at the home of Lazarus, who he's raised from the dead, and Mary and Martha are also there. Martha is denoted as serving. Uh, Lazarus is present at the meal. And if this was a Roman-style table or celebration, uh, they'd be meeting at a table called the triclinium, where you sort of laid on one side and you're you were on a couch and your head was towards the food and the table and your feet were away. So possibly that might have been uh, the way that they were eaten, we don't know. Um, but we know that during the meal, we are seeing uh, the compassion, the love that Mary has for Jesus. Uh, she is pouring out fragrant perfume over him, over his feet, and she is wiping uh, that, that, that oil. She is moving it around, uh, working it into Jesus' skin of his feet with her hair. Uh, and, and we're seeing that by doing this, she's this costly act of devotion to Jesus. This oil, this nard, was an expensive commodity. It, and feet cleansing was typically something that would be done by your lowest servant. Uh, Mary, as one of the hosts of the meal, is showing her willingness to pour out not only her financial resources, but to also pour out societal norms in her worship and commitment to Jesus. She's following Jesus with her whole heart, and we're seeing alive in Mary this sense of true belief, uh, belief in Jesus that he was desiring from those who would follow him. Uh, Jesus is getting ready to wrap up his public ministry. By the end of John chapter 12, he'll be meeting with the disciples exclusively. And the last words that Jesus has in John 12 to the crowds or to the people come in verses 44 through 50. And I feel like it's a summary of what Jesus is trying to do. I'll read part of this. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Mary is one of these people who has seen Jesus. She has believed in Jesus. She has seen the majesty and the glory of God through Jesus, and she is a committed believer. She, Mary is not the only person present uh, in, this, in this experience. Also, one of Jesus' disciples is there, Judas. Judas has a very different perspective than Mary does. Uh, Judas saw someone giving a very financially costly gift to his master and was critical. 
he felt that rather than pouring out this expensive fragrant perfume onto Jesus, there was an eBay opportunity that we could have sold this item. It would have produced a bunch of money, and some of that money would have come through Judas's purse. John helps us understand the character and the motivation of Judas as one who would betray Jesus and also as a thief. Uh, but Judas would uh, sometimes have some carrying charges uh, for money that passed through his hand, and he wanted a portion of that nard money for himself. And he was a follower of Jesus physically, following Jesus around, uh, but his heart was full of himself. And so there's a sense of Judas of, of a false belief. Uh, he's not wholehearted. He's different than Mary. And Judas earns the rebuke of Jesus, where Jesus says, leave her alone, verse 7, so that uh, she may keep it for the day of my burial, for the poor you'll always have with you, but you will not always have me. Mary had done a beautiful thing to Jesus in anointing him and preparing him for his burial. Uh, And another perspective that we see at this meal uh, is the crowd that comes in and ultimately the response of the chief priests. Many people came probably looking in the windows to be able to see Lazarus. He was a visible sign of the miraculous work that Jesus did. And uh, people were believing in Jesus because they came and there was Lazarus alive and they could talk with him and interact with him and basically say, hey, what was it like being dead for four days? And Lazarus could tell them. Uh, He could tell them what it was like to be physically resuscitated by Jesus. And so the chief priests uh, begin to view Jesus and and also this sign of Jesus' power as being a problem. The chief priests were personally opposed to Jesus, and they also wanted to stop other people from believing in Jesus. They had cast the blind man who was healed out of the synagogue. They were desiring to kill Lazarus as some of the proof, evidence uh, of Jesus' miracle. They wanted to get rid of that evidence. Uh, They wanted to limit the damage uh, that that Jesus' ministry was beginning to cause uh, because in verse 11, because on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over Uh, And they were believing in Jesus. And so the chief priests want to minimize that. They want to stop it. They are working actively to prevent people from following Jesus. They're not only filled with unbelief, but they're working to prevent other people from believing as well. And I think that we look at these different uh, personality traits, the different ways uh, that people were responding to Jesus Um, What we can say is, is that people's response to Jesus will matter on the last day. Uh, If we look at the, uh, again, the end of verse 11, sort of Jesus' summary of his ministry, I'm sorry, the end of verse 12. If we look at the end of chapter 12, again, uh, it says that the one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say, what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And so this, the the reality is, is that our response, people's response to Jesus will matter. 
it, it probably didn't seem like it mattered in the here and now, in, 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 this, in, in the dinner at Mary and Martha's. There was unbelief that was present. Uh, Mary believed. What difference did it make? Judas didn't believe. What difference did it make? The chief priests, they were trying to kill Jesus. But in the moment, at the meal, in, in their immediate near future, their, their lives went on. Jesus is pointing out that his words, his ministry, his testimony, his works, his miracles, they will matter because they'll matter on the last day. Uh, in, my, in my pocket, I have a, a little piece of plastic. I have one from Visa, and I have another one from MasterCard. And if I use these items today, uh, 30 days from now, when I get my statement, there is an impact there's a, there's a future maybe benefit or consequence of, of me using my credit cards. And, and what Jesus is saying is sort of that in a better way. The thing that you do today, the belief that you demonstrate today has an impact for the future, has a benefit for the future. It's sort of like we have two cards in our spiritual wallet, a belief card and an unbelief card. You know, and, and maybe in the words of a, of the, of a credit card commercial, you know, what, have you, what are you charging toward? What is it that you and I are charging toward? Uh, as, we, as we think about the things that we believe in, as we think about our actions of belief, as we think about the ways that we're trusting Jesus and we're trusting his words and moving forward in our relationships with him, it's like getting that belief card out and swiping it and knowing that in the future— There'll be a benefit. There'll be Jesus's words will speak and will provide uh, evidence or proof that we are truly one of his people. Uh, But you know, sometimes as I go through my life, there are times when I don't believe uh, and I'm facing hardships and challenges, situations at work, and I reach for that unbelief card uh, and I swipe that one. What card have you been relying upon lately? What is it that, that you and I are charging towards? Uh, and, and the hope is that as we've heard Jesus' words, we will increasingly be demonstrating our belief in Jesus uh, with actions, with following him. And know that you know, we are not ultimately going to be saved because of the things that we do. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross brought a mechanism for when you and I have been running that unbelief card. There is a way for our unbelief and our sin to be forgiven because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Let's move on. Look at this next part of this from verses 12, really through the end of the chapter. It's the triumphal entry and really the response and some of the teaching that happened immediately around the entry into Jerusalem. Uh, This event is covered in many of the Gospels, and John covers it for us here. John gives us great context because we, we realize that the crowd, part of the reason the crowd was so excited was because Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. And so the crowd had come to see Jesus at the feast at Lazarus's home, they're not far from Jerusalem, and Jesus is heading there for the Passover. You know, Jesus is like, you know, he's a week away now from his crucifixion as he makes the triumphal entry. And this crowd was excited that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, and they were waving palm branches, and they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even 
the king of Israel. And we have a passage uh, where Jesus rode a donkey and how that was a fulfillment uh, of a prophecy that had come before. Um, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming on a donkey's colt. It was a sign in in that era of kings coming into a city on a on a on a donkey, they came in peace, uh, and the crowd is there, and they're celebrating this. Uh, Jesus was celebrated as the King of Israel, and this is the second time the people have wanted to publicly acknowledge Jesus as King. The first time was after the feeding of the five thousand, and now uh, shortly after the resurrection, the resuscitation of Lazarus. Now, this crowd, the status of their hearts. Uh, they were celebrating Jesus' entry today, and days later, they would be calling for his crucifixion. They, they were not uniformly believers of Jesus. They, they were maybe a little bit more like Judas. They wanted what Jesus would give them. They wanted what Jesus would do for them. They weren't ready to believe in him the way that Mary did. Uh, we see that as Jesus makes this triumphal entry, uh, the, 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 there's people in the, the, the Pharisees, first of all, realize like, good grief, our strategies aren't working. The whole world has gone after him in verse 19. And then we actually see that Jesus has people from the Gentile regions, people who are referred to as Greeks that were coming and they were in Jerusalem and they wanted to see Jesus. And so they're brought to Jesus by Philip and Andrew. And as the Greeks come, Jesus makes this declaration that the hour has come. This is a significant moment in the John narrative because up to now we've seen again and again and again Jesus saying, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come. And now as these Gentile uh, people who desire to meet Jesus are coming, Jesus says, my time has come. And he offers us this illustration of a wheat, a grain of wheat, a kernel of wheat, uh, how that wheat, when it goes to the earth, that kernel that goes to the earth, when it grows, you get more wheat. A wheat seed and the wheat that you eat are really the same thing. And Jesus is making the point that in order for him to truly reach out to the Greeks, in order for Jesus's ministry to extend from the first century down to you and I, it'd be necessary for him to die. Jesus explains uh, that this notion of losing your life is, is the way in God's kingdom to ultimately be successful. And Jesus is willing to give up his life to be able to advance the work of his Father. He finishes this little section by saying, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Again, Jesus' mission is to carry out the work of the Father wherever he is. Jesus uh, goes on to talk about um, the fact that he's troubled, and uh, we have this section where uh, the the glorify the name of the Father is going to be talked about in verses 27 through 30. Um, Jesus knew the work that was before him was ultimately his death and crucifixion on the cross, and he says that his spirit was troubled. Uh, and and in this moment, Jesus was wrestling with what what path am I going to walk? Should I ask God to save me? Or should I ask God to glorify your name? And Jesus says, no, my mission is to glorify the name of the Father. And as he declares this out loud, God speaks. God says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd didn't necessarily know what happened. And I think this is a danger 
uh, for you and for, for me and for you know, those who experience something miraculous to write it off as thunder or some natural occurrence. Uh, people whose hearts are hardened to the God will miss the ways that God speaks to them. And the people who were present with Jesus that day, some of them said, oh, it's just thundering. Um, and uh, what we also see is that Jesus is not the only one that's troubled. Uh, Jesus is troubled. He's worried about his ability to carry out the Father's will and the level of difficulty and the hardship and the pain uh, that will happen. Um, the crowd has not been asked to die on a cross and forgive the sins of the world. Uh, the thing that Jesus was asking the crowd to do was to believe in him and to believe in his works. And, and we see the crowd being troubled, right? We've seen this throughout uh, the Gospel of John. Um, the crowd is saying, well, well wait a minute, um, we understand that you're talking about death and that you're going to be lifted up and you're going to die. And then in verse 34, the crowd says, well, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can the Son of Man be lifted up? How can you die? Uh, who is the Son of Man? And, and the crowd is wrestling with the words that, that Jesus has spoken, and it's not harmonizing for them with the law. And in their moment of trouble, when their souls were troubled, they did not bring their troubles to God. Instead, we see many people choosing instead to not believe, to, to not believe Jesus, to just cast him out and not believe him. And this pattern of unbelief was present. We see quotations from the book of Isaiah uh, in verse 38 and verse 40, where uh, unbelief was a problem in Isaiah's time, thousands of years before, uh, maybe hundreds of years before Jesus was uh, having his ministry. Uh, unbelief was a problem for the people of Israel. And, and the unbelief of Isaiah's time is being repeated maybe more fully in the time of Jesus. And really the principle for this second section, this triumphal entry and people wrestling with who Jesus is, uh, is that God calls his people to believe him. God calls his people to believe him. When you pack for a trip in your suitcase, you know, there's only so many things that will fit. You probably have more stuff in your house then you could fit into your suitcase. Uh, if you pack your favorite shirt, there may not be room for the shirt that you need to wear for work. Or if you pack your running shoes, you may not have room to bring your sandals as well. If something goes in to your bag, sometimes there's not enough room and something else needs to come out. And I think this, this notion of a, a limited size suitcase is part of the problem with people believing in Jesus. It's, it's not necessarily that people need to have some kind of intellectual assent to say, oh, yes, yes, I believe that you're the Messiah. Uh, the reality is, is that belief in Jesus means that we're going to have to begin to live differently. We're going to have to be able to set aside some other beliefs and some other behaviors and some other activities and some other things that we might like about our lives. Uh, we're going to have some things in our life suitcase that as belief in Jesus goes in, something else is going to have to come out. And we have a hard time taking things out of our suitcase. Uh, the incompatible beliefs and actions that we're asked to remove, we aren't able to let those go. And so we don't unpack. We don't 
put in uh, the good things from God, the belief in God, because we're reluctant to take things out. And so perhaps as you've been in the Gospel of John this year, as you've been reading God's Word, you've sort of felt like, man, there's just not as much room in my suitcase as there used to be. As you've been in God's Word, He's revealed to you and to me some of the attitudes and perspectives and things that we do that aren't really compatible with belief and action of believing Jesus. Uh, What are some things that you feel like God is asking you to put into your bag? And, And what are some things that God is asking you to take out of that suitcase as you seek to follow and live uh, as someone who is a believer in Jesus. I think it can be frustrating for us that Jesus doesn't cater to our felt needs. You know, I think that you and I are, you know, we're enlightened people and we believe that we know what's best for ourselves. We have a a perspective about what's going to make us successful and happy and content in this world. And what we really would like is like a genie, We'd really like God or Jesus just to show up and, you know, do glorify my will, Lord. I, I have a great plan. I have a great set of ideas for my life. Glorify my plan. Glorify my name, Lord. Uh, and I think it can be hard for us to live like Jesus and to say all the time, Lord, I'm troubled. And the solution to my trouble is going to be to see that your name is glorified. Um, And again, the great news is that Jesus knows what our true needs are. Uh, He knows what our actual needs are. And he dealt with our biggest one by dying on the cross uh, because we're not able to live lives of perfection uh, and to be able to perfectly trust and love the Father the way that Jesus did. But we are still presented with this challenge of, of saying, will we believe? Will we place our trust and our confidence in Jesus? And will we go forward and live our lives differently because of the work that God is doing in your heart and in my heart? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for uh, the wonderful words of John and for the willingness of Jesus to uh, serve so long and so publicly and to face ridicule and hardship and burden. Lord, I pray that uh, you would continue to soften our hearts and unstop our ears, and unblind our eyes so that we could see you. pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.